Welcome to Teaching Thursdays, an edition of the Better Bible Reading Podcast with Kevin Morris. We're continuing our study, Teaching Thursdays, in this book, Theoretical Practical Theology by Peter Van Maastricht. And this is really an exciting day because we finally made our way through the study of preaching and his, what he called the best method of preaching. We've had a handful of episodes now on that whole topic. And so if you missed any of that, please head to betterbiblereading.com, check out the YouTube channel, check out the podcast feed. You'll want to listen back to those. But having made our way through that, we are now into the meat of this book, which really starts on page number 63. We are in what is called Prolegomena. This is volume one of Peter Van Maastricht's Theoretical Practical Theology. And we're going to be looking at the very first chapter of this book to start to understand what it is that we are dealing with when it comes to systematic theology. Peter Van Maastricht is famous for his method, uh, which is called theoretical practical theology, and that really has to do with the way that he approaches the topic of theology, how he intertwines uh, Christian practice into that, and I, I think that you're really in for a treat as we make our slow and steady progress through the rest of this book and Lord willing into subsequent volumes after we finish volume one. Well, I wanted to take the time to say that this episode is brought to you by my generous supporters at patreon.com. My friends, uh, family, uh, those who have really come to believe in what I'm doing on this uh, podcast and YouTube channel, Uh, Their support is what makes the show possible, and if you have been blessed, if you enjoy the content uh, that I create, if you want to find a way to support what I'm doing, then I would suggest that you go to patreon.com forward slash better Bible reading. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash better Bible reading. You'll see on there several different support tiers that you can choose from. And when you do, you'll gain exclusive access to the things that each of those support tiers unlocks for you. That's my way of saying thank you for your support. And we will now jump into volume one proper, if you will. Uh, Again, page number 63. If you don't have a book, there's a link in the description. I highly recommend that you get yourself a copy of this because we're working our way through this at a slow enough pace that uh, you'll be able to follow along and read ahead and all that, all of that. So just a quick explanation of what we're dealing with. Uh, chapter one in this book is called The Nature of Theology. And what we have is essentially about 60, chap- or 60 pages in chapter one. Uh, this book in volume one, because it has so much of the uh, biographical information of Peter Van Maastricht, it has his best method of preaching and all of that stuff that comes before we really get into the book. Uh, You can really look at one of my bookmarks here. We're really starting like halfway through this volume is really where chapter one uh, starts off. So the rest of this book is really only three chapters, chapters one, chapters two, and chapters three. And it puts us through about 150 pages worth of content. So, volume one is really uh, 
an introduction book, but that doesn't mean that we're dealing with things that aren't important or things that are so basic that they don't deserve a whole lot of space, because really, the nature of theology, as chapter one is entitled, is really the most important thing. If we're talking about systematic theology, if we're talking about what it is that we're doing in our study of theology, our study of doctrine, um, well, if we don't have a good uh, comprehension of what we're talking about, then the entire endeavor is really a process of vanity. And so this is really of first importance, of first concern for Peter Van Maastricht, that we understand why it is that we should study, that we should take to uh, learn these kind of things. So that's what chapter one is all about. We won't go a chapter per week because that's just way too much content. So really what we're going to be dealing with is just pages 63 up to 67. That's going to get us through Peter's introduction to this whole discussion, and then we'll start working through uh, content from there. But let me start with where he starts. He bases what he calls the nature of theology. He bases it, hopefully you don't find this as a surprise, but he bases it on Scripture. In other words, Peter Van Maastricht is going to the Bible in order to make an argument for why it is that we should study theology. And he goes to 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 2 and 3, which you'll find at the top of the page. It says this, Teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and it does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine that is according to godliness, he is puffed up, knowing nothing. So that's the text that Peter Van Maastricht looks to and points us to look to as well. Uh, in this whole discussion of theology, that's his starting point, is what the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, this command to teach doctrine, this uh, caution of different doctrines that might be creeping up, and calling Timothy to teach that which is in agreement to what the Lord Jesus taught, and in so doing, that it will accord with godliness. So, Peter Van Maastricht is going to use those two verses from 1 Timothy 6 as a way to really set the stage for us. It starts off by saying the first of the prolegomena, so here's that word again, prolegomena, which is really, of, we might say, a basic version of, of that word would be of first things, matters of first importance, uh, introductory or foundational uh, material. That's what prolegomena is in the system of uh, theology. Uh, the first of the prolegomena of theology concerns the nature of theology. He says, we will demonstrate our theoretical, practical theology consistent with the nature of any discipline in two parts, the prolegomena and the system. Thus, with respect to the prolegomena, three are set forth in the first book, which is what we have here. The nature, the rule, and the distribution of theology. And since the nature of something is not made known to us in any way more clearly than in its exact definition, which presupposes that which is defined, 
In this chapter, after a preliminary discussion of the method of theology, we will contemplate the definitum, which is theoretical, practical, Christian theology, and then its definition, by which it is the doctrine of living for God through Christ. We will lay as the foundation for all these things the exegesis of the text just read, 1 Timothy 6, 2 through 3. Okay, so there's his introductory paragraph. I won't be reading all of what Peter Van Maastricht says, but I obviously wanted to start uh, in our beginning of chapter 1 by just reading verbatim what it is that he says. So he's saying really that we're wanting to set the stage here. Uh, by unpacking and analyzing what the nature of theology is. He mentions that we're going to look to um, what the Bible just said in 1 Timothy 6, 2 through 3, as uh, the stepping stones and the interpretive grid for how we understand theology. And then he provides a definition. He'll get to this later, but he provides a definition of what theoretical practical theology is. What do we mean by theoretical practical theology? And he uh, provides a definition here. He'll elaborate on it later. But he says it's the doctrine of living for God through Christ. I think that is one of the most helpful definitions of Christian theology, maybe even the best definition ever written down of what Christian theology is living for God through Christ. And he's going to deal with that later. But the pattern that Peter Van Maastricht takes in all of his topics, it won't quite work itself out in this way in chapter one, because this is an introductory chapter. But what is so great about Peter Van Maastricht's way of approaching the whole system, the A to Z of systematic theology, is that he deals with every single thing in a fourfold use or or a four part understanding. Uh, when I had uh, Matthew Everhart on the channel when we were talking about Peter Van Maastricht, and he mentioned that that was his favorite thing about Peter Van Maastricht's method, and it's a lot of people's favorite thing about his method, and that is the four part uh, understanding and unpacking of theology. So he's going to give us, in every doctrine that we come to, whether it's the Lord's Supper, whether it's the church, whether it's salvation, everything is going to be unfolded in a fourfold way. And that is, first of all, the exegetical, which is dealing with Scripture. We're going to Scripture. The second is the dogmatic, or the doctrinal. So we're going to see what is the doctrine, what is the teaching that comes out of that Scripture. The third is the elinctic, and that is the argumentative or the uh, defensible position of that doctrine. So the scripture proof, the doctrine that comes out of it, and then defending that doctrine of why it means this, not that. And then number four, the practical. That's what's so great about reading Peter Van Maastricht as opposed to other systematic theologies is that he brings in the biblical study, he brings in uh, comparing different viewpoints, and he always brings in the practical use. You don't have to go to another book of uh, Christian living. You don't have to go to uh, practical theology in order to get that kind of thing. He puts it all 
in his study of systematics, and that's why I wanted to choose this book, because as we start to work through every single topic, we're going to see the biblical basis for it, what the doctrine is, how to defend that doctrine, and what it means for our lives, what it means, as he says in Christian theology, living for God through Christ. How do we live for God through this view of the Lord's Supper, through this view of predestination, through this view of suffering? That's the name of the game for Peter Van Maastricht, and that's why he's so admirable. So he's going to start uh, laying somewhat of a foundation in this beginning chapter. So he starts first with uh, talking about the exegetical part. He says essentially what this means is it is built upon the text. In this text, he's talking about 1 Timothy 6, 2-3. In this text, the apostle, who is about to put the finishing touch on this letter, gives Timothy a most serious admonition regarding true and false theology. This is uh, some things that he makes note of in subsequent points now. But he's really saying, in, in essence, we're going to the Bible, and we're understanding that systematic theology is something that Paul is commending to Timothy. And because of that, it should also be something that is commended to us. And he makes uh, the argument for that in several ways. First, he says that what Paul is encouraging Timothy to is the whole of Christian theology. So Paul is not talking about a certain doctrine in general. He's not talking about um, a particular viewpoint that Paul wants him to to be very uh, cautious towards. He's giving him an exhaustive or a bird's-eye view approach, a holistic approach to theology, if you will, And Peter Van Maastricht says that Paul, in this way, is commending to Timothy a system of doctrine. We hear the arguments oftentimes of, why do we need systematic theology? Why should we care about taking the Bible and putting it into different compartments and categories? Why should we take the Bible and put it into a file cabinet, if you will, of a system? Isn't that getting too abstract? Isn't that getting beyond what the Bible says? Isn't that really cut and cutting and pasting um, what we think the Bible says into our own Bible? Isn't that going beyond what Jesus does? Jesus is more interested in telling stories rather than teaching doctrines, isn't he? Like that's that's the kind of argument that people make. And maybe you don't make that argument about systematic theology but maybe you make it in more of a uh, contextual situation of the church. For example, why should a church have a statement of faith? Why should a church's statement of faith be very precise? Why can't it be very broad and very basic? Why do we have to care about the finer points? And that whole argument uh, really goes to a misunderstanding of the fact that the Bible does have in mind a system. Um, Everything that is taught to us in Scripture is given to us for training in godliness. Everything in Scripture is worthy and commendable to be read, but the way, going back to what Paul says to Timothy, the way in which we are to use that is for 
personal growth and godliness, but also for reproof, for rebuke, for correction. And that means that an A to Z evaluation of doctrine means that we take seriously that whatever the doctrine might be, there is a right answer to it, and there are, by necessity, many wrong answers. If doctrine teaches this one thing about Christ as the second person of the Trinity, then it can't teach these things which are opposed to it. And so if the Bible lends itself to teaching us about anything, that means that God is interested that we have a correct view of that thing, and we are corrected from a false or wrong view of that thing. That's really what the, um, what the idea is behind formulating a systematic theology. It, it takes in great level of seriousness all that the Bible has to say about a particular thing and articulates it in a system so that we can have a clear and well-informed view of that thing. And this can be used from, again, it's the A to Z of, of doctrinal studies. So really anything that you could think of uh, from the Bible applies to this. And that's what Paul says, that, or that's what Peter Van Maastricht says here, is this idea of systematic theology is not something that has been invented way after the fact of the time of biblical writers. Uh, while uh, you didn't have something like uh, John Calvin's Institutes or uh, Herman Boving's Reformed Dogmatics or even Peter Van Maastricht's Theoretical Practical Theology, while we didn't have these kind of things written back then, uh, the, the concept of a system of doctrine is right here in what Paul is commending to Timothy. He is encouraging Timothy. Uh, to a received system of doctrine, and he is discouraging him from wavering from that. That is what Peter Van Maastricht is saying. And we know that by the warning of saying, if anyone should teach otherwise, which we, we see Peter Van Maastricht refers back to on page 64. Uh, here the whole of Christian theology is committed to Timothy, which is indicated not only by the antithesis in the following phrase, if anyone should teach otherwise, but also by the parallel of 2 Timothy 1.13. Now, let me read that. should have already had my Bible handy here, but let me read uh, 2 Timothy 1.13 so you can understand how that parallels together. 2 Timothy 1.13 says this, Follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So there's a, a pattern, there's a system, there's a uh, full-orbed uh, articulation of doctrine that is passed on from Paul to Timothy, and Paul expects Timothy to guard that as a deposit. Here's the system of doctrine. Here's the uh, official teaching of Christian theology, Timothy. Guard it and entrust it to other faithful men. Guard it from error. Guard it from being neglected and cast aside. Uh, that's really what Paul is saying to Timothy, both in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy. 
uh, Peter Van Maastricht also says uh, that there is here a duty of exhortation, which concerns how theology must be related. So theology must be related to the or taught, must be um, articulated by the exposition of true dogmas and the refutation of false ones. So how do you teach theology? How do you teach doctrine? He says you do it by the exposition of what is true and the refutation of what is false. If you want to know what the doctrine of the Trinity is, and you want to articulate that to others, it is not just important to say what it is, it's important to refute what it isn't. It's important to emphasize um, that God is one in essence and three in person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's important to emphasize that. It's also important to refute false views, such as modalism, which is God is essentially uh, three different parts. He appears uh, as this version at this time and that version at that time. You don't have a distinction of three persons in one essence. You have really a variety of one person that is revealed in different ways. So it's really one God with three hats. And that's just one example of, of how you would want to go about uh, teaching doctrine. Uh, it is really brings up the question, I think, of what really means or what really shows that our view of theology is well informed. This gets to a whole conversation about what kind of denomination we belong to, uh, what what kind of camp or what variety we associate ourselves with. Um, do you do that by default, or do you do that because after evaluating the other positions, you find this one to be the most biblically faithful? Well, you can only come to that conclusion if you understand the variety of views. And so we don't want to be too heavy on this right now, but it does bring into uh, our minds, and it should, that's why he's bringing it up this way, uh, that biblically speaking, uh, teaching right doctrine necessarily means that we're teaching against false doctrine. And in order to do that, you have to understand what false doctrine is. It's back to that analogy that people use often of uh, looking for counterfeit bills. Uh, there is importance of analyzing what a legitimate $100 bill looks like. You want to know what the real thing is. But the use of contrast is helpful in looking at what fake $100 bills are like as well. You need to be able to spot what a fake one looks like as well as what the real one is. And that's kind of the idea with doctrine. How do you know that this is the real one? Well, you have to have something to contrast it with. You have to have something to compare it to. And why do you know that this one is false? So it really gives to that uh, refutation idea or that, as he calls it here, refutation of false doctrines or false dogmas. That's why. Uh, he is going to 
do it in that way, as we call it the elinctic use later, making a defensive right doctrine. Um, that's why he organizes it this way now. He's trying to tell us that what Paul is saying to Timothy of spotting false doctrine uh, is going to be used by Peter Van Maastricht as a method for all the doctrines that he's going to deal with. He says uh, that, top of page 65, um, the idea is to encourage, the idea is to teach, and the idea is to exhort. He says that is by moving the will so that what the intellect perceives is carried over into practice, for it is the chief end of theology in its highest apex. Now this you should really spot if you've been following along in our study through his uh, best method of preaching. Remember what he says about uh, preaching, and he says especially what the soul of the sermon is? He says it is practice. The soul of the sermon is Christian practice in response to that sermon. In other words, uh, you could preach and you could inform people of a lot of things. You could elevate their knowledge uh, quite highly. But if it doesn't lend itself from the head to the heart in practice, then it is a dead uh, practice. It is a dead exercise. It is the soul, it is the vitality, it is the lifeblood of the sermon when it gets, by God's grace, from the head to the heart of the hearers. And that's the same thing he's saying here, um, that exhortation in teaching theology is the goal of moving the will of the students so that what the intellect perceives is carried over into practice. That's the chief, he says, that's the chief end of theology, that's the highest apex of theology. And that's why, as he moves through all of his uh, doctrines uh, throughout this volume and the later volumes, that's why he always is going to go to that practical use. Because for Peter Van Maastricht, if we avoid talking about what practical application this doctrine has, if we avoid talking about that, if we say it's not important, uh, then we have disregarded what he says is the highest apex of theology. So, the highest point of theology is practice for Peter Van Maastricht. You don't make a big enough deal of theology if you don't get to practice. And that is really uh, flying in the face of so many contemporary views of theology. It is so common for people to assume that theology is for people that are interested in knowledge, whereas People who are more interested in how to live don't have time for theology. Now, the irony is that both of those viewpoints are wrong. If you're only pursuing theology for knowledge, you're not reaching its highest apex. You're not reaching the point of it, according to Peter Van Maastricht. And if you're trying to pursue practice apart from theology, you're never going to do it rightly, according to Peter Van Maastricht. So we can see how theology and practice not only go hand in hand, but are bound up together in a way uh, that cannot be disregarded, according to Peter Van Maastricht. So that is really uh, the 
big idea of how he's trying to lay out the the foundation here of the nature of theology. Uh, looking on page 66, uh, this idea of a locked-in theology, that theology isn't meant to change and be reinvented with the times. Uh, he says here that false doctrine, one of the features of it, is that the top of page 66, it does not remain in the things that they taught. It does not rest in the things taught. Uh, he refers to two uh, warnings that we find in the Bible of adding to or taking away from. We see that in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament. We also see it as the final warning in the book of Revelation, Revelation 22. Uh, but there's also another place that we can see this kind of idea and that's in Second John. You have this same uh, imagery spoken of, of true doctrine means resting in what has been given to us. False doctrine means going on ahead. And this is what, how John puts it in Second John. He says, verse 9, Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So, because of that, that means that theology uh, is not meant to be an innovative exercise. Theology is to be a resting in and receiving what Christ has given to us. And that means you, you have to set a limit on where divine revelation begins and ends, right? And that kind of goes into the idea of our understanding of Scripture, uh, the understanding of the Bible as God's breathed words to us, uh, inspired human authors uh, written by the instruction and superintention of God to communicate to us what it is He wants us to know, what it is He wants us to receive. And when that revelation is ended, we're not meant to go on ahead of it. We're meant to wrestle with everything that we see in the Bible, and because of that, that means that we're going to need to uh, fine-tune what our positions are. But we don't reinvent theology uh, to accord with the times. We, we don't reject things that are very clear in the Bible because it's not culturally appropriate anymore, or it's out of touch with what society wants today. That's, in essence, what false teaching is, and that's why Paul talks about false teaching as the tickling of the ears, because it no longer becomes an uh, enterprise of safeguarding what's been entrusted to us. It becomes an enterprise of entertaining and being relevant to a listening audience. The tickling of the ears means. Uh, the congregation shows up, and the preacher says, I don't very much have any interest in what the Bible says. I care more about what you want to talk about. I care more about what you want to know and what interests you. And if you're interested in these sexual revolutions, if you're interested in getting away from the supernatural elements of the Bible, if you're interested in really building a human utopia that is all about our own pleasures and pursuits as the highest good of humanity, 
then I'm fine with that. And I'll simply disregard everything that the Bible has to say about those things to the contrary. That's why this imagery is so important. Uh, Jesus' disciples, the Great Commission is making disciples of all nations and teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded. That imagery of observing what our teacher is commanding us as his students or as his disciples uh, means that we, as Christians, walk up to Christ and sit at his feet and hang on his every word instead of popping in the room for two or three minutes and say, I think I have this figured out, and going on ahead to do our own thing. That's really the the imagery that comes to mind with the difference between uh, true doctrine and false doctrine. Uh, Peter Bay Maastricht says as well, one of the uh, hallmarks of right doctrine, according or in contrast to false doctrine, is that false doctrine does not deliver a doctrine that is according to godliness. Uh, he referred to this earlier in that verse that we start started out with, First Timothy six. Notice how he says that. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and it does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and with the doctrine that is according to godliness, um, right doctrine is so tied into right practice that you can't have actual godliness apart from it. And because that's true, that means that one of the ways to spot false doctrine is to look at a doctrine that seems to be antithetical to godliness. How do I know that this doctrine is wrong? Well, there's a lot of ways that I could look at that. I could look at it based on how it goes against Scripture or something like that. But I could also look at it to see what, it, what fruit it bears. What are the results? What are the observable uh, outcomes of that? Is it godliness or is it ungodliness? Does it strive to abide in Christ or does it present a lifestyle that runs on ahead away from Christ? Uh, that's all of this we see straight from the text, right? He's Peter Ramachuk is building this argument from the scripture text of 1 Timothy 6, verses 2 and 3 to make this point. Um, and that's why he is organizing things in this way. And he says, I'll just close it in this way. We're on bottom of page 66, and we'll stop uh, once we get to this next heading. But he finally says this, um, the difference is in the words, according to godliness. You might call it the doctrine of rightly worshiping God, which is elsewhere expressed synonymously as living for God through Christ. Romans 6.11, for which reason theology is called the word of life, Acts 5.20. Therefore, it appears that Christian theology is best defined as the doctrine of living for God through Christ. So several things will be said about this later on in their places. But false teachers are puffed up and know nothing. The fruit and effects of both false doctrines and false teachers 
It is from them that envy, contentions, and the like occur, concerning which we have no, me- no more need to say more at this time. So that's really the way that he's setting the difference here between right doctrine and false doctrine. It's the life of the ones who are committed to it. It is a mirror. It is uh, a demonstration to the world. Uh, The way we live is what we believe, and we as Christians should always uh, repent of the fact that our lives do not always line up with what we believe. We are not perfect, obviously, in this life. It is very common for our view of God to not come to bear in our lives as it ought to, but as a holistic approach, as a self-examination, we should be looking at our lives in a way that, yes, we will, we will stumble, we will fall, we will fall short, but looking at our lives as a whole, does the pattern of living correspond to what we say we believe about God? And if it doesn't, by and large, that should cause us to pause and say, well, what do we actually believe about God? Because right doctrine is right insofar as it accords with godliness, according to not Peter Van Maastricht first and foremost, but according to Paul, according to the Bible. And so Peter Van Maastricht is saying this whole endeavor of theology, of studying it, is important because it says something profound about our lives. It says something about how we live, what we hold dear to, whether or not we're abiding in Christ. And so you have the study of theology for Christian maturity. With that emphasis, we can see how important it is for us to study it, because if we're studying it as it ought to be studied, then we're engaged in something that is meant to grow us in godliness. It's meant to draw us closer to Jesus Christ. And so theology, rightly understood, is the most practical thing that we could endeavor to study. And he's going to continue to unfold this for us in uh, subsequent pages and chapters. But that will conclude our episode. Uh, We've looked at what he calls uh, the first uh, consideration of the nature of theology. And uh, our next episode, we'll start to work through what he calls several different theorems of theology. So we'll deal with the method of theology, and then he'll work us through the definitum of theology. And then finally, we'll close the chapter by considering what he calls the definition of theology. So he's going to work through three considerations of theology to close out chapter one, and we'll probably deal with those one at a time because of how much he, how much detail he goes into. But uh, hopefully this has been a great way to kick things off in theoretical practical theology. Um, I hope if you have not bought the book yet that now you say, I really need to get this book because it's about Christian living. It's about uh, practicing godliness, and this is what we're going to be trained in. We're going to be studying by somebody who is world-renowned and somebody that we should continue to be thankful for as uh, now being accessible in the English language 
just in the last few years. Uh, before that, we had to know Dutch, or we had to know Latin, or else we couldn't read Peter Van Maastricht. So, uh, again, huge shout out to Todd Rester and Joel Beakey for their efforts of making this book a reality. And I will see you next time on the Better Bible Reading Podcast with Kevin Morris. Take care, and thanks so much for watching.